Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Ukrainian president asks Canada to do more to help his country withstand the Russian invasion. The way he described, you know, how we should put ourselves in his shoes or what Ukrainians are experiencing with, you know, buildings being bombed and, you know, memorial sites being bombed and women and children being killed. Uh, I, I think that makes it real and also that gives us that sense of urgency that we need to do more. Canada holds the NATO line on calls for a no-fly zone over Ukraine. We are always willing to look at many scenarios right now because we know Ukrainian people need help. And Canada will always lead conversations to find creative solutions. But at this point, based on the information we have, we have a red line that we can't cross. And hundreds of Canadians, including political leaders, are sanctioned by Russia. I would simply say that this is part of a show in which I didn't ask to be part, but uh, I don't take this very seriously. And I must admit that I did not plan to go in Russia anytime soon. It's Wednesday, March 16th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So it was quite a historic moment in the House of Commons yesterday, and, and I know a lot of people were moved by not only the speech, but the standing ovation after President Zelensky of Ukraine spoke virtually to a joint session of Parliament, the House of Commons, and members of the Senate there to hear his words. Um, and they were powerful words. Let's Let's break them down and talk about how Zelensky framed things, the impact that's going to have on Canadians and the impact it's going to have on the decision makers in this country about how they continue to support Ukraine in this moment of crisis. Well, you know, he employed a very effective uh, rhetorical device, I guess you could call it, Mark, in that he challenged uh, the Prime Minister, all the members of the government and the members of, of Parliament who were listening. And, and of course, Zelensky would have understood very well that, uh, you know, Canadians across the country, if not seeing it live, will see the tape of him speaking. And, um, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of people living in Ukraine now in the face of this Russian aggression, uh, you know, the schools, hospitals, daycares, uh, civil businesses, apartment buildings, all these places being bombed and shelled uh, by the Russians and this incredible act of aggression. Um, so, you know, it is not that hard to put yourself psychologically, I guess, in the shoes of others, I think. And so he, he is trying to play upon the empathy Canadians have for Ukraine and Canadians I think it's it's not in dispute that massively uh, support uh, Ukraine's fight for freedom and are massively sympathetic with the people of Ukraine. I don't know a single Canadian who doesn't know uh, someone of a Ukrainian descent or like we have a neighbor here who's who's from southern Ukraine. So we understand the Ukrainian people and we understand a little bit about what they're going through. Um, but it's the appeal to do more, which is the tough part, to find the right thing to do, um, which helps Ukraine fight this off, yet doesn't uh, increase the chances for a wider war. Yeah, and what does that look like? Because that's the fine line I think all Western leaders are trying to walk right now, and, and it's challenging, obviously. Uh, 
as much as everyone would love to help uh, Zelensky, uh, it, it, they, they don't feel comfortable doing everything he's asking for, obviously, right? Yeah, you know, it's a strange argument in that sense, Mark, that, that the Ukrainians um, are, are saying that the war has already spread beyond the borders of Ukraine, in effect that Putin and the Russians are challenging democracy and, and the Western way uh, of conducting business and living, um, that, the, that the, the idea of war has already spread well beyond the borders of Ukraine. And I think that's a very legitimate uh, argument. However, actual shooting by a NATO member country of Russians uh, is going to escalate things. And I mean, I, I hate to say this because I have massive personal sympathy for the Ukrainian people and for the hero heroism of, of President Zelensky, but they do want that war to expand. They do want it to sweep in more countries because they feel that this is going to bolster their position against the Russians. Um, and, and this is something that has to be managed with extreme delicacy uh, in the next weeks and months. Yeah. And I guess as we're looking at Canada's response, we should note that yesterday there were a number of sanctions coming back against Canada from Russia, including the fact that Justin Trudeau is not allowed into the country, into Russia anymore, which I'm not sure he was planning to go there anyway. But uh, there were other sanctions against uh, Canadian ministers and parliamentarians. And uh, so as as one of the considerations moving forward is how will Russia respond? We are seeing some of the Russian response already. Yes, I mean, they, the, the Russians put out a, a massive list of, of sanctioned people, over 300 uh, in Canada alone, almost all members of the House of Commons, pretty much, um, and uh, political leaders. Uh, you know, they, they also sanctioned uh, President Biden of the United States, Secretary of State Blinken, uh, even the press secretary for the White House, Jen Psaki. And, uh, of course, Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden were also sanctioned, I suppose, which will be useful in the uh, disinformation wars um, that are going on. I, I did see somewhere that Hillary Clinton called it a Lifetime Achievement Award from the <laughs> Russians because she's, yeah. she's been a foe of Putin for many years. So, I mean, these, these sanctions are, are purely for form's sake. They have almost no, I can't imagine the impact that it would have. I mean, what impact is the sanction going to be against uh, Karina Gould, you know, who's Canada's Minister for Family, Children and Social Development? I, I mean, you know, I, I'm so I can't see any of the Canadians being sanctioned, losing sleep over the fact that they can't go, uh, uh, you know, off to Siberia for a visit or, uh, you know, enjoy a hike up the Ural Mountains or the flesh pots of Moscow. Uh, but uh, this is the way of diplomacy, I guess, Russian style. Yeah. All right. We'll continue to watch that, Dan. Uh, let's turn to the conservative leadership race. It was interesting to see yesterday Doug Ford, the premier of Ontario, who at one time was talked about as a potential candidate in the federal conservative leadership race. He said he's not going to run. And of course, he's got an election coming up in June in Ontario. He said yesterday that he won't be endorsing anybody in this race. Neither will anybody who's in the progressive conservative caucus, which uh, sounded more like a, a threat or a warning than than the conclusion of some consensus that had been arrived at by everybody in the caucus. Um, so uh, that's kind of an interesting angle. But generally speaking, what do you make of where things stand with this leadership race? We should mention as well, Jean Charest announced yesterday he had tested positive for COVID and would be campaigning 
virtually for the next few days while he recovers from that uh, and self-isolates. Um, but it's certainly been an interesting start to the race this week with already a number of major developments and, and attacks flying in all directions. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's almost like the Conservatives are intent on writing the Liberal uh, campaign ads for the next election for them, you know. Uh, I mean, when you have um, well-known candidates like Pierre Polyev and Patrick Brown uh, firing broadsides at each other, calling each other liars, and who's the bigger liar, and you're a bigger liar, et cetera, et cetera, this really childish, juvenile foolishness uh, that has become so common, I think, in uh, in some of the more strident members of the uh, Conservative caucus. Uh, you know, it, it it does look absurd, I think, to outsiders. Um, couldn't uh, uh, an internal party leadership campaign be conducted with a little more decorum? Well, I guess not in this case. But, uh, you know, Doug Ford saying he's going to stay out of it, I, I don't know that he would have had much impact one way or the other, but... Um, it is interesting because, after all, Patrick Brown is the man who uh, Ford replaced yeah. uh, not long before the election, he became Premier of Ontario, one of the great political jobs in Canada. And, um, you know, uh, not to endorse a fellow Ontarian, Lizlyn Lewis is also an Ontario MP. And uh, you would think uh, might be somebody that an Ontario Premier would want to endorse just for the local support angle. And uh, so, I, I mean, I do find it interesting. Maybe he just, he just wants to stay out of it. And if they're going to get right down in the mud on the very first day and start hurling insults at each other, uh, maybe any smart politician would mm. want to keep a, a 40-foot barge pole handy to stay out of that. Yeah. Pierre Polyev, of course, is also from Ontario. Um, yeah, oh, so, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, I know often the national capital region is thought of as its own district and not <laughs> not part of the province. That's actually I always a, keep thinking he's from Alberta for some reason. Right. Because uh, he, he was, is from Alberta. He was originally. born there. Yeah. Um, But uh, I know uh, Ontario politicians, Queen's Park politicians are often accused of overlooking Ottawa. But maybe that's why Doug Ford's staying out. It's interesting, too, because his his history with Patrick Brown is a little bit checkered as well. Patrick Brown at one time wanted to be after his time as after he had to step down as progressive conservative leader. He originally wanted to be the regional chair for Peel region. But then they they scrapped that job and he had to run for mayor of Brampton instead. So there's some interesting it was Doug Ford that actually eliminated that that role that Patrick Brown wanted to have. So, um, yeah. So there's so there's history, history there that yeah. is, is emerging. I mean, even though the uh, the race is only getting rolling. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's probably the uh, a sign of things to come in the conservatives. And uh, it's got to stand to. Uh, I think, to uh, encourage uh, the Liberals who haven't been having a great time themselves over the past few months, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Great stuff, Dan. Thank you for joining us today. Okay, Mark. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. The way he described how we should put ourselves in his shoes or what Ukrainians are experiencing with you know, buildings being bombed and, you know, memorial sites being bombed and women and children being killed. Uh, I, I think that makes it real. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At cbc.ca, Aaron Huery argues Volodymyr Zelensky has given Canada a cold dose of reality. Huery writes, 
Speaking to Parliament, Zelensky asked Canadians to imagine their own country being attacked and asked Justin Trudeau to imagine that it was his children hearing the impact of bombs falling on the airport in Ottawa. He stressed the horrors of war and the limits of the Allied response to date. As a folk hero, Zelensky can inspire, but he can also ensure that people don't move on, look away, or forget what is happening in Ukraine. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues that every day Russia escalates attacks on civilians makes direct intervention in Ukraine less unthinkable. The Star writes, So far, the United States, other NATO countries, and the Trudeau government have stuck to the position that direct engagement in Ukraine risks triggering a wider war with Russia. It's difficult to argue with the reasoning. And not too many days ago, the suggestion of NATO forces enforcing a no-fly zone, potentially firing on Russian aircraft, seemed to be a complete non-starter. But every day that this conflict continues makes some kind of direct intervention seem less extreme. At ctv.ca, Don Martin considers the tragic but necessary rejection of Zelensky's big ask from Canada. Martin writes, Zelensky asked Canada to do more to stop Russia and to protect Ukraine. He asked for real support. In other words, it's great you stand with us, but it's time to fly with us. Tragically, that's an unanswerable ask, even if only to protect fleeing civilians from Russia's aerial bombardment. It's easy for interim official opposition leader Candace Bergen to call for a no-fly zone over humanitarian corridors in Ukraine, but one deadly dogfight between a Russian and a NATO jet turns the untenable into the unthinkable amid global military and potentially nuclear fallout. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be joined by Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne and Ontario Premier Doug Ford for a visit to the production facilities of Honda Canada Manufacturing in Alliston, Ontario. The visit will be followed by an announcement and a news conference. Defence Minister Anita Anand will take part in the NATO Extraordinary Defence Minister's meeting. Northern Affairs Minister Dan Vandal will announce federal support for community revitalization initiatives in Calgary. And in Halifax, Mental Health and Addictions Minister Carolyn Bennett will announce funding for a prevention and harm reduction project. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, March 16th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.